There is something that is otherworldly about the way Jesus shifts into another gear following his resurrection. Let's go through that together now. So Matthew 28, verses 1 to 10. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, no problem if you don't, just listen. Can you turn to Matthew 28, verses 1 to 10? After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His disappearance was like lightning. Sorry, his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Are you in the scene now? (laughs) This is mind-blowing stuff. Verse 5, the angel said to the woman, to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, there they will see me. Now, just as that passage closed, you saw two remarkable things. First of all, you've got women as the first witnesses to the resurrection in a a society where women's testimony was not listened to, which may explain the reaction of the other male apostles when they came to tell them in another gospel account about the resurrection And it said that their words seemed like nonsense. They didn't want to listen to it. And so we have Peter and other disciples, the beloved disciple, running to the grave to see if what the women said was true. And when they saw the grave clothes, as in John's gospel, they believed. In this case, the other remarkable thing that happens is it says that Jesus suddenly met them. Jesus met them on the road. He appeared as if from nowhere. And this is a repeating theme all the way through the gospel accounts of the resurrection, that suddenly Jesus bursts, as in John's gospel, into a locked room. Or in Luke's gospel, he suddenly appears on the road to to Emmaus, and he eats with them, and they're kept from understanding who this is, and then he breaks bread, and they recognize him, and suddenly they know it's the Messiah, so they run off to the apostles, and then suddenly, in another locked space, Jesus enters the room, and he starts to say, Touch my hands, like he did in John's gospel. He does it in Luke. Touch my hands. Touch the places where the scars of my suffering still reside. Give me food. Give me broiled fish. Give me honeycomb, and I will eat with you. Something mysterious is happening. There is both continuity and there is discontinuity. There is a Jesus who is scarred. There is a Jesus who remains able to communicate. There is a Jesus who is able to eat. There's continuity, but also there's a discontinuity with this heavenly man that Jesus bursts in through locked doors. It's a strange thing, isn't it? The Jesus who could enter locked spaces didn't actually pass through the stone. I think the Lord wanted to shout something from heaven about the greatness of this moment. An angel turns up on the scene 
frightens the guards and leaves a memento of the breakout. But Jesus, of course, it's a mystery of mysteries, could have walked through the tomb door without it being rolled back. So often we gaze upon the story of the resurrection, as I said at the start of this service, with an unhelpful sentimentality. We're really familiar with this. And it's not healthy sometimes. Dare I say it, we embrace it with a religious over-familiarity that drains it of its power. Well, let's agree not to do that today. Let's agree not to let the gospel story sit along all the other stories that we've heard and just treat it with the familiarity that is tantamount to contempt. Let's recognize what was going on here. This resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the most significant human event in history thus far. It didn't, the Bible is clear, it didn't just change human reality, it changes everything for people, but it changed everything in the heavenly realms as well, the spiritual realm. In Ephesians, it says that when Christ ascended, he did this so that he might fill the whole universe. And what that simply means, in just to take a tangent point, is that the reign and the rule and the influence of the risen Son of God is everywhere now. And because the reign has been established, the church of Jesus Christ have been commissioned to make known that victory to the principalities and powers through advancing the kingdom. Because Jesus has already won, folks. Jim Ormisher would tell you from the pulpit if he was preaching here, we're on the victory side. It says in Colossians 2 that he disarmed all principalities and powers and made a public spectacle on the cross, triumphing over them in it. He defeated Satan. He defeated death. He defeated hell. He paid for your sin and he rose victorious from the dead. We'll go into that a little bit more. But Jesus, being alive, is more than just a story that we might say, well, that's good for him. Glad that he managed to overcome death. Maybe maybe that's possible. He is the son of God after all. Well, well done, Jesus. No, Jesus rising from the dead changed everything. I absolutely love this quote. Can we have the next slide, please? Philip Brooks, a church minister, said, let every man and woman, we might say boy and girl as well, count themselves immortal. Let them catch the revelation of Jesus in his resurrection. Let him say, let them say, not merely Christ is risen, but I shall rise. You see, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, whether you believe it or not, is completely relevant to you. I was outside a bookshop when we had two days away in Buxton this week. Lewis and my family, we were in there in a Christian bookshop, which ironically was next to a witchcraft shop. We were so tempted to go in and have a chat, but I didn't. I was on holiday. I really wanted to, though, honestly. I was like, oh, should I, should I not? No, I'm on holiday, I won't. I did. I wanted to go in. I was wondering if it was appropriate. Lewis felt a nudge from the Lord to buy some tracts. I said, okay, son, because God has shown you that, I expect the Lord to move as soon as we step out this door. 
He said, because God sees your heart. As soon as we step out the door of the bookshop, with tracks in hand, outside the door was a man looking through the window. Lewis and I walked over to him, track ready, and said to the man, are you a Christian? He said no and looked blank and confused. I said, have you understood the gospel about Jesus Christ? He said no. I said, do you know that Jesus died on a cross for my sins and your sins? He was buried and he rose from the dead. He's alive today, seated in heaven, and one day he's coming back for all those who await him. Did you know this? He said, no. I said, do you need forgiveness? Because Jesus can give it to you today. Our sins separate us from God. And he said to me, I need forgiveness. Can you believe this conversation? So there and then, Lewis and I laid hands on a man to the embarrassment of everyone else that was shopping that day and prayed for him and prophesied over him about his suicidal tendencies, about his self-hatred, about his brokenness in his family line. And he was nodding and saying, yeah, that's me. And Lewis kind of skipped. This is how we rolled out. The next busker he saw, he's throwing the tract into the busker. Why did I say this? Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ, whether people know about it or not, is always relevant to every human being. That man teared up and got emotional as we shared about Jesus. It's always relevant. And it doesn't matter the woodenness with which you present it when we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is alive from the dead, him who died for our sins. It always has power. I woodenly share it intentionally with people. I woodenly present it to people because I know it always works on the heart. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the most significant event in human history. I don't think most Christians fully understand the message of the resurrection, most Christians. I think if we did, it would be transformative. It would affect the way we live. I have to look at my own heart and not just ask the congregation, do you understand this? Do you believe this? I'm saying this to myself as well because the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead carries something for us now. We'll go into that at the end of this message. It's transformative. If we truly understood it, we'd light up like the angel in the story. Do you remember? Do you remember the angel coming down? It said his, the angel's appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. That's heaven's economy. That's he's exited heaven, entered earth, and brought the radiance of the God who is light in whom there's no darkness of all, at all. When Moses went up and was with God, he came down and his face was shining. When we encounter the Lord, transformation happens on the inside. I prayed for a Satanist once, and I told him to renounce, he wanted to give his life to Jesus, and he had these black eyes. I said, do you renounce Satan in all his ways? He said, I do. I said, well, mean it. Say it. Mean it when you say it. I laid hands on him. He started to sweat like this. And this is absolutely the truth because it happened at the front of this church. His eyes changed in that moment when he received Jesus from dark black to light blue. It was just about here on this anointed spot. So if you want to catch the glory, this is where it is. Where it is. And then not knowing anything about churchianity, 
He ran downstairs and hugged everything that moved, whether it was appropriate or not. Because Christ himself had come in and changed him on the inside, and that which was of the devil had left him and exited the building. Because the light of Jesus in the heart of a believer brings the radiance of heaven that is resurrection life. We'll talk about that in a minute. Resurrection life. But resurrection, one thing I want you to understand, is a heavenly reality. It came from heaven originally. Do you remember that? Do you remember that resurrection came from heaven originally? It is part of being in heaven. Just getting around the culture of heaven brings resurrection and life to that which was dead. Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. Not I will be resurrected, but I am resurrection and life. And this is where it all starts to get interesting for you and me. The one who walked the halls of heaven, burst out of heaven, carrying not just the potential for resurrection, not just the message of resurrection, but in his essence, he was resurrection and life. The Bible says, he who has the Son has life. Because you cannot have life if you do, if you, if you do not have the Son. But if you have the Son, you will always have life because his resurrection life is who he is. Death stood no chance with this man, this heavenly man. Veiled in human flesh was the antidote to death. See, this was a rescue mission. This was a rescue mission for you and for me. He entered the world to save us from our sins and he was never going to fail. Because he was resurrection and life. He came as the life bringer. He was a man. But he was a heavenly man, a man straight from heaven, God incarnate, God in human form. See, resurrection rolled into town, and they killed him. And they rolled away the stone in front of the place where he lay. Resurrection rolled into town, and they rolled a stone in front of him, thinking that would stop him. <laughs> but this was resurrection. Resurrection behind the tombstone. This was life. Normal rules did not apply here. My son asked me the other day what Jesus did whilst he was in the tomb. And forgive me, church, we got into that difficult passage about preaching to the departed spirits when Jesus was in the grave. And all the, you know, if you want a tough Bible study in 1 Peter 3, 19 to 20, enjoy that one, go on. Get some pastors and elders around you as you study it. But when we talked about him vanquishing death, preaching his resurrection life, declaring to the spiritual realm of the dead, and by the way, as a side point, he wasn't held prisoner in hell. We've already said in Colossians 2.15, he made a public spectacle over the devil on the cross, triumphed over him there. So that theology is nonsense, by the way. That's a free side morsel. <laughs> I couldn't help myself in this conversation with my son. And I started to tell him about the time when resurrection and life walked into the realm of the dead. I, I, I was very tempted to adopt the T.D. Jakes stomp. Have you ever seen, T, do you know who T.D. Jakes is? I don't have the stature, I don't have the deep voice, but the time that resurrection, you know, have you seen, can you imagine him preaching it? Stepped into the realm of the dead, you know, sweating and I need a handkerchief, I got rid of the handkerchief, didn't matter. Henny, 
burst open the bit. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> but I can't do TD. So I'll just be me. <laughs> Sorry, no, says Sue McCall. <laughs> but the time when resurrection and life walked into the realm of the dead, it changed everything. Do you remember it in the Bible? In the chapter before we read at the beginning, in Matthew 27, verses 50, it says, when Jesus had cried out again, he was tortured at this point, Again, in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Did you see what happened then? Jesus died. Physically died. And verse 51 says, at that moment, can you humor me and say at that moment? I hate it when the pastors do that. It's muttering away somewhere. At that moment, when he gave up his spirit, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That's God working to man, not the other way around. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. Did you see what happened when resurrection and life walked into the realm of the dead? He pushed back the shadows with such ferocity that a lion's roar can only be the descriptor to understand how wild this moment was in the spirit realm. The king of heaven roared his victory in that moment and repelled the shadows in the spirit world. And those who had temporarily, for everybody is eternal, taken on the mortality of humankind and dropped away out of their physical form, waiting in chains for judgment or waiting in paradise, however we understand what's going on here, Jesus steps into the spirit realm and preached to the spirits departed. He's alive. But Don Francisco coming on. He's alive. Google it. Heaven's gates are open. Hallelujah. Will knows what I'm talking about. Oh, I feel his presence. Hallelujah. Resurrection, life entered the realm of the dead and the resultant earthquake shook the rocks and the dead were literally raised to life. The same thing happened when heaven invaded earth at Jesus' resurrection. Another earthquake but this was only an angel. His only job was to roll away the stone. That's all he had to do. And I love the way he sat on top of it, by the way, as if to say, come on, come on, guys. This is my moment. <laughs> I love the moment. The soldiers are sort of like, <laughs> these are the SAS. These are the Roman elite. They're just like, <laughs> shining, radiant as lightning, violent earthquake. And the guards who impotently was sat in front of a closed tomb, could do nothing. <laughs> Have you noticed, and again, this is a side point, unbelief always looks in the wrong direction. 
They're sat in front of the tomb, probably waiting for the knife ship to end, looking out, oblivious to what is going on behind them. Unbelief always looks the other way. Life through the Son of God always comes from fixing your eyes on that which is eternal. Jesus himself. What a powerful moment this was that we read. The greater glory in this moment lay with the one who gave a death blow to death itself. The man who was resurrection and life. Listen to this from a guy called Peter Trumper. He he describes what's not actually in scripture and helps us imagine this death blow moment. Peter Trumper writes this. The one who was both human and divine, God manifest in the flesh and had lain for the two full days in the dust of the earth. Now in a brief moment was adorned with a glorious body. Not one limited by time, but capable of elevation above and beyond it. Listen carefully now. The impotent passivity of the once crumpled form, bearing the hallmarks of death, speaking of Jesus, sallow flesh, languid expression, hollow eyes, sagging mouth, twisted arms and legs gave way to a rapid surge of divine strength. Death's sickly pallor surrendered to the radiance of death defied. The power of darkness to the power of an endless life. Did you see what happened to Jesus? You see, Jesus susceptibility to weakness he was weak he couldn't carry his cross Jesus susceptibility to tiredness he got tired in John 4 want to sit at the well Jesus susceptibility to death he died we've already said that Jesus susceptibility to decay he probably would have wrought if God would have allowed his body to go to corruption but we knew the Bible said he would be laid in hope says that in the Psalms didn't it his body would never see decay it could have done but it never did But a transformation is happening to the one who once could be weak, the one who once could be tired, the one who once could potentially decay, the one who would probably see aging if he'd lived long enough past his 33rd birthday, now gave way to an endless life in a new type of body. This was not a resurrection like we see of Lazarus in the Bible, or Jairus' daughter, or the widow of Nain's son. They unfortunately would have had to face death again. And unless Jesus Christ returns in our lifetime, we all will have to face this moment. And this is where it becomes relevant to all of us. Because there is tremendous hope for the believer in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We'll get to that. These people like Lazarus would unfortunately have to face death again. Jesus' resurrection though was altogether a different thing. Listen to this phrase. Jesus began in that moment a deathless creation. Jesus in that moment began a deathless creation. Now if this, that isn't good news, that doesn't warm your heart with hope. There are those who have gone and left this mortal call that you know and love and miss and grieve over. 
who believed on the Lord Jesus will one day experience something remarkable. We'll get to it. But Jesus was the first fruits, as has already been described by my mum, a quote from 1 Corinthians 15. It says, Christ the first fruits and those who are Christ's at his coming will be raised in the same manner. Next slide, please. Our verse, which is key in this, says that just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, i.e. Adam, so we will also bear the image of the heavenly man. What am I saying to you? When we look at Jesus being raised from the dead with a new type of body, a body that can ascend to heaven, a body that can walk through locked rooms, a body that still eats, still relates, still talks, still walks, still has continuity with his past. Know who he was. You'll know who you are in heaven. You'll know who you walked and lived with. You'll recognize people. But the wonderful thing about heaven, where there's no sin, is that you will all the time be growing in your network of enjoyment of people and human relationships. There may be someone in the new heaven and new earth that you haven't met yet who will become your best friend. Have you thought of that? What a glorious thought. You see, I'm preaching the truth here, but I'm not sure we understand it or are aware of it. This is the destiny of the church. We, we spend our life fighting and scrapping over the little molehill of the moment that we're in now and miss the fact that we have a mountainous future in eternity with Christ. That's why in the passage I'm about to read to you, it ends with the word vain. And I'm not talking about vanity in terms of the way we think about ourselves. It's talking about the, the things you do in this life are not in vain if they're done for Christ. Let me read it to you ahead of schedule. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, that is Adam, so we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, i.e. die, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, that's future, obviously, when Christ returns. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. This is the key bit at the end. It says, therefore, in the light of what I've just read to you, Dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. If ever there was a time that was needed, it's now. Do you notice the shaking that's going on? I've never known a spiritual pressure on my ministry like now, ever. The devil is aware of the bright future of the church. Do you know that? You should pray for your leaders. You should pray for the church. Not criticize, pray for them. That's your mandate. Because the future is very bright. It says, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because the, you, here we go. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord 
is not in vain, i.e., with the perspective of the resurrection life of Jesus, which we will enter into when the image of the heavenly man will become our image at the last trumpet when Jesus returns, we will enter into the deathless creation that Jesus, as the first fruits, has already created. Did you understand all that? In other words, just as Jesus was given a new resurrection body, which had incredible potential, I like in 1 Corinthians 15, it says we were raised, we were were sown in weakness, it speaks of of a sowing of seed, and raised in power. Do you know your spiritual body will be powerful? It has to be to endure eternally. There'll be new things that you will be able to do that the moment you're restricted and you can't. Jesus ascending into heaven wasn't just some nice religious image. It was a man who was able, as both God incarnate with a resurrection body and having still a physical body with flesh and bones, Luke 24 says that, touch me, Jesus said, I've got flesh and bones still. He was able to move between the heavenly realms and the physical realm. When the new creation is fully realized and we colonize the new heaven and the new earth, you will be able to easily move between heaven and earth, just as Jesus did. Because the Bible's clear, it says we will bear the image of the heavenly man. We will be just like Jesus. It says that in Philippians 3, 21, the same thing will happen to us that happened to Jesus. Is this encouraging? A deathless creation has been started and is the hope for all who believe. Let me, as briefly as I can, tell you the following. Jesus came to make all things new, to create a whole new world with a new type of human race to inhabit it. Now, just as the Holy Spirit brought life to Christ's mortal body, transforming it to an immortal one, he also breathes that new life into all that believe. That can happen to someone today. It can start today. But the spiritual transformation will happen to you today, but the physical transformation that happened to Jesus will happen in the future. Okay? So it's a two-stage process. Let's talk about the spiritual transformation and then the physical transformation that I'm done. The Bible says in terms of spiritual transformation that Jesus' resurrection has given us a living hope. I.e., Christ earned us a future life like his own. Though our bodies are not yet like his new body, our spirits have already been made alive with new resurrection power. We have a down payment guarantee in our inheritance to come. So Jesus' resurrection spiritually brought life from the dead and a hope of a future physical resurrection. Point two, Jesus points to a future life like his own where our spirits are made alive with resurrection power. Point three, the resurrection power gives us more and more victory over sin in this life. Now, if you're struggling with sin, you need to walk with your brothers and sisters into freedom. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But discipleship means that we should progressively be set free from the things that hold us back, progressively. By one sacrifice, he's made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And it says that in Romans 6, that the body of sin has been done away with in the tomb. That literally means it hasn't got the power to control us entirely. You can't just say, I can't help myself sinning. It's, it's, it's li- likely to be a chemical addiction or a demonic stronghold in the life of the believer where the devil dwells in the believer's life like a squatter. He says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath 
and therefore don't give the devil a foothold or a literal place. So if you're a believer that's struggling with sin and can't help yourself with sin, it's likely that you either have a chemical challenge that needs to be walked out with someone in openness, or there's some place that the devil doesn't have any ownership on, but you've gave him squatter's rights by your habits and your behaviors. And being set free is a matter of choosing life, not death, choosing good habits, choosing to walk in the light as he is in the light, and then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Does that make sense? Number four, the resurrection life also gives us power to be witnesses. Number five, we're literally connected to the source of resurrection life and his spirit flows through us, giving life to our mortal bodies. Did you read that in the scriptures? His spirit in us gives us life to our mortal bodies. And elsewhere in that same um, writing of Paul, it says, we are now one spirit with the Lord. Now, here is something that helps me stay away from particular sins. If I have the Lord dwelling in me within my body as a temple of the Spirit, every sin that you engage with, you take the Lord into that moment. Now, that's not to beat you up. That's just the reality. Having that mindset that I take the Lord into a sin exchange because I'm one spirit with him keeps me saying, okay, I don't want to lose my intimacy with the Lord. Finally, Jesus' resurrection also ensures our right standing with God. Remember, we're talking about spiritual transformation for us now before the physical transformation in the future. This is a really important one if you've switched off. I'm nearly done. Listen to this. Some some important people, some well-trained people, some biblical people may not have seen this, even though it's right there many times in the scriptures. Romans 4.25 says, Christ was delivered over to death for our sins. Here we go and was raised to life for our justification. What does that mean? It means that when Christ raised from the dead, it was the necessary action to get God's sign off on the fact that the penalty for our sins had been fully paid. So we we know that Jesus said it's finished on the cross. He put the payment of our debts in order, but in order to get the sign off on our debts... God had to show approval to Jesus who was raised from the dead, saying, it's over, I've done it, I've won. I hope that's understood. The fact that he rose from the dead means that your sins are paid for. All of them. (laughs) Past, present, and future. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Freedom. Freedom. Freedom is a matter of believing the truth, not living in a performance-orientated culture. I believe that when you died, was buried, and rose from the dead, God gave sign off that the work was enough, that I didn't need to do anything to gain the Father's approval. I'm already accepted in the beloved in Jesus Christ. Right now. Right now. That's why we can approach the Father with freedom and confidence. Hebrews 4.16, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness that we might receive his grace and help in a time of need. If you're struggling with sin, run like the prodigal into his arms and let the Father love you. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He'd done the job, so he sat down. And now he waits to get those who are his at his coming. That was the spiritual transformation. Let me briefly say, 
again, about our physical transformation. In 1 Corinthians 15, which we've already read about, there's a remarkable explanation of Christ's resurrection and its future implications for all who believe. It reminds us that Christ's resurrection was witnessed, listen to this, by hundreds of people. I'm sure you've noticed in Acts 1, it says that he was around for 40 days, teaching the disciples about the kingdom, appearing to many. And in 1 Corinthians 15, it says 500 plus saw him. Now, this wasn't a widespread hallucinogen where they all saw the same hallucinogenic moment. To achieve that, where's Funcho? <laughs> it's not going to happen, is it, Funcho? It's not going to happen. The same delusional hallucination. Everyone sees the same thing if a hallucinogen was in the air. But 500 at the same time saw the resurrected Christ. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, and most of them are still alive two decades after it happened. Go and have a chat to them, is his inference. They saw him. This is one of the proofs from within the Bible that Jesus rose from the dead. Fact. There's many. I won't take you down that road. The Lord prepared in that 40 days his followers to be witnesses of his resurrection and their their mission has never changed. We're going to close on the mission. This resurrection of Jesus was the exact pattern for all who would believe in Christ. One day, at the last trumpet, in the twinkling of an eye, Will Young will become an eternal, deathless creation. Hallelujah. No more pain. No more sorrow. Sorry to pick on you, Will. It's a Don Francisco chat with. What a hope. What a hope. And so how should we respond in the light of this truth? The hope of a future resurrection body should fill us with hope and motivate us to live in the light of eternity should awaken us to the most important state of our existence that of the earthly that of the eternal one in the future at the last trumpet and this should cause us to live for the treasure in heaven not for the treasure on earth because that's where we'll get to spend it for most of our existence we'll colonize the new heaven and the new earth together in resurrection bodies that are powerful and will never ever experience pain or sorrow or suffering ever again in a sinless realm in the new Jerusalem whose anthem is about the scars of the nail-pierced hands of Jesus who is worthy to take the scroll. So how should we live in the light of eternity? Jesus tells his disciples in Luke 24, opening their minds, it says, to this spiritual reality at the end of Luke. He told them this. This is what was written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in the name of Jesus to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with that power from 
on high. So how should we live in the hope of our future bodily resurrection? We should get on the mission with Jesus. Preach the gospel of repentance for the forgiveness of sins so that resurrection life will come into people and that they'd be changed from the inside out. I want to close with this question. Have you experienced that resurrection life? Do you know if Jesus came back now that you would be going to heaven? Because the Bible says true Christians will know because Christ himself is in them. Paul, can you come up, just close a song with your team? If you don't know Jesus, at the end of this worship, we're going to say a prayer before our social time. And then when the people have gone down to get their food, if you give your life to Christ, or you rededicate your life to that which is with an eternal perspective, then I'd like to come and tell me. And I want to bless you. If that's your response. Amen. Father, I just pray as we worship now, your spirit would flow on the back of that hope-filled message of the gospel. Amen.